0: you. <laughs>
1: feel like you were the only man, didn't I give you everything a woman possibly can?
0: I think you better take it, Aztec.
1: Appreciate y'all coming out in this ring.
2: This has been Bug Out Square. Thanks for doing what you got to do to do. Uh, Thank you, uh, music everywhere. Uh, I'm going to try to go through these songs really quick. And uh, I know it's been long. I I just, I don't know. Just had to do it, man. Had to go for it. And I went for it. (laughs) That's a good set, man. Uh, Yeah, this is... uh, Yeah, it's cool in the game.
3: Back in the manger On Christmas morning See him in the temple Talking with the elders Who marveled at his wisdom Down at the Jordan Where John was baptizing And saving all sinners
2: yeah, I'm back. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is uh, Sidney Portier. Uh, Louis of the Field. Uh, we had Bill Withers in there. Uh, Brothers Johnson doing "Come Together." That's good. Uh, um, I can Tina Turner uh, doing a uh, little bit of "My Heart." Uh, we had Temptations in there. Uh, U.B. Blake, uh, uh, Ramsey Lewis Trio, Donna Summer, McCoy Tyner. Nina Simone, uh, Sam Cooke, James Brown, Marvin Gaye, Sade, uh, Digital Underground, Brides of Funkenstein, Moms Mabley, uh, uh, Sam, uh, Wilson Pickett, uh, Bob Marley, Stevie Wonder. Uh, Hugh Masekela, Mandrell, Sly in the Family, Stone, Pointer Sisters, and we opened up with Joan Armatrading. Yeah, that's a good show, man. Is that what you're coming in to say, to give the nod of approval? All right. remember if you can uh, if you come through the website and you got uh, a few extra bucks kick them in we're really struggling this thing we're turning around people are starting to get stabbed uh, things are looking up so uh, but you know we're hanging in we're hanging in
3: you gotta fight the powers that be.
0: you yeah.
4: SF, coming at you from 278 121st Street and Florida Street. Don't have Aqua Q tonight. We're going to be having an interview with Storied SF. Jeff's going to be here. We're going to take some pictures, and we're going to have a little interview. I'm very excited. We're double dipping on a podcast, two podcasts, recording at one time with Storied SF, so coming up in the next hour. Then at 6 o'clock, we have Joke Workshop here every Monday at 6 o'clock. 18 comedians, the first eight all get four-minute sets and four minutes of comments by their comic peers. And then it's just an open mic with four minutes after that. But everybody's really nice and pays attention, and that is Joke Workshop at 6 o'clock every Monday. You can sign up, just friend Facebook, like us on Mutiny Radio, facebook like our instagram mutiny radio sf give us money on our venmo at mutiny radio that would be great <laughs> and uh, listen to some more music this is an old morning train by jd buell he's no longer with us on this mortal coil but we still get to listen to his musical choices his dj wonderment miss him very much and uh that's the morning train with jd buell
5: oh no i
6: Just a Dream, Jackie Naylor's version of Losing My Religion from the album The Color 5, which was released in 2006, before Jackie, the Isley Brothers, a track found on Forever Gold, released in 1977, their version of Todd Rundgren's Hello, It's Me, before that Gene Chandler and one of my numerous theme songs, The Duke of Earl number one single in 1962, and also topping the charts at number one in 1956, Elvis Presley, with I Want You, I Need You, I Love You. Speaking of Elvis, dig this. Oh my, what a party that was at the county jail. The Jeff Beck group from the album Beckola, on which they performed two Elvis Presley songs. We heard Jailhouse Rock. They also do All Shook Up on there. Ron Wood on bass, Nicky Hopkins piano, Tony Newman drums. Jeff Beck on guitar, of course, and vocals extraordinaire. Rod Stewart. Also on some extraordinary vocals, Eric Burden, 1966 with the debut of the group known as Eric Burden and the Animals on British radio doing Heartbreak Hotel. Let's go down to Texas now and hear Rosemarie from 1966.
5: (laughs) we
4: You're listening to MutinyRadio.fm in .SF, and I am here right now with Storied SF and Jeff, yeah. Jeff, Jeff of Storied SF. Hi. Am I on here? You are on. I'm not right hearing yet. myself. You have to be a pretty close to the mic. Oh, okay. There you, yeah, yeah, yeah. there you go. There you go. And PM. you can always turn your volume up a little bit more if you okay, like. Okay. And hi. Thanks so much for being here on Mutiny Radio. I'm super excited. Storied SF, another podcast, local podcast. Yes. Doing stories about... I'm like, I'm interesting enough to do a story about,
7: yay! Oh, yes you are, absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you f- for having us. Um, this is also a, a little bit different than what we normally do. We're not always in the studio. Like, we bring the studio to wherever it is. Um, should I introduce our project? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so um, when I say our, um, the story yes. San Francisco is Michelle Kilfeather sitting here to my left and myself i'm jeff hunt and uh i i guess i'm like the the audio person and she's the visual we're an audio visual um she does photographs i do the podcast part so um we started about four years ago and our sort of impetus or the inspiration to to do this was that you know we have both been here at this point 20 plus years um But we found ourselves four years ago or so complaining, doing that thing that we all do, like drinking ourselves to death and be like, fuck this city and what's happening. But no, it's like, no, but we also love this place and want to turn that into something positive where we celebrate the people who are still here and still doing good stuff.
4: R.I.P. Hemlock. R.I.P. I mean, do
7: do you want to just do an hour of
6: R.I.P.? We can do that, (laughs) right?
4: (laughs) Like every, every small art gallery, every small business in San Francisco right now, all the cool things. It was like, where'd they go? Yeah, <laughs> all the empty storefronts—it's scary. And then La everyone Rund- moved here because they were like, "It's so cool!" But then all the artists have to move because they can't afford it. It's like, oh, what do we do?
7: Yeah, and like La Rondia became a salad joint. Like, is that—is <laughs> there anything more telling <laughs> than that? <laughs>
4: salad lounge. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what does that even mean?
7: But no, it's you know, uh, I I think it's it's like it, it, it it's specific to what to what we do, but it's also I think a a, a general way to live life is like, are you gonna turn? The negative into something positive and try to learn from it. And I, I mean, I have to say, like, like going back even pre-pandemic, <laughs> the joy of this project that we're doing because we're a weekly podcast, we're doing forty-nine episodes a year, so we're just constantly out there meeting and getting the life stories and really getting to know and share the stories of amazing people. <laughs> um, through the through the pandemic, though, I mean, that's it's like that's t- taken up a notch because everyone is. Tra- Side right. And not being social, and not maybe not meeting new people. Although so for
4: creativity, I think for artists it's been a boon because how right. many songwriters wrote a whole new album? How right. many people? I think Taylor wrote a Swift novel? did like five, right? Right. So <laughs> yeah. people have been super creative. Artists right. had time to paint. People had time to write. I think a lot of people just watched a lot of Netflix. But right. there've been people creating projects because they had the time to finally do it, right. which is exciting.
7: And no lack of uh, uh, inspiration, right? Um, <laughs> So the
4: world's falling apart. <laughs> yeah.
7: Uh, but, yeah, so that's – I guess that's what we do. We have a different theme every season for each 49 episodes. And and this season, we're about, um, I think, 13, a dozen or so episodes in. Our theme this season is We're Still Here. <laughs> uh, we did launch in this year. Um, so speaking to a lot of things, but the exodus or texodus, as I've, I've heard it referred to, is like no – a lot of people did leave by choice. A lot of people were forced to leave, unfortunately. Um, but we're still here. We're there's still, still a here. city. And and I think um, for Michelle and myself, it's like there's a – and a lot of folks out there, I believe. Um, there's a chance to, to make a better city moving forward. Right? Yeah.
4: Because if we're building – once things are broken, we can rebuild. Yeah. So now's the time. Yeah. I just was surprised that the questionably housed – stayed like the same yeah i I live in the tenderloin so pretty much nothing changed and i thought like with all of the people moving out couldn't we have found homes for the ten thousand questionably housed people and no that didn't nothing that didn't change
7: and with literally the biggest building or was for a minute on the west coast like that's just now empty right Right. and and i guess it has art on the top anyway um (laughs) yeah um definitely not not ignoring like all the problems that are still here, um, yeah. and all the people who are suffering uh, at all. Um, but I think that's perhaps, you know, I'm not pretending I have any of the answers that Michelle yeah. has any of the answers, any one person has the answers, but there's a chance to build a better city, um, a more equitable city, a fair city, a loving, respectful, I mean, look around. Like I, The one thing I feel like almost everyone who we've had on the show, and we ask, you know, like, What is it that drew you to San Francisco if you weren't, if you aren't from here originally? It's like, it's just beautiful. And it's got, it's got this history of magic. And it's like,
4: yeah. Yeah. Poetry, everything, that whole. So what brought me to San Francisco eventually, I mean, as a child, I used to come in on the weekends and stuff. And it was very exciting. And my dad used to work in the city at the newspaper agency, which was the Chronicle Examiner. And and so he was right there on Fifth Street. Mm -hmm. And I'd come in as a kid and I just thought it was so exciting. Yeah. Uh, But then, as an adult, I got into graduate school, finally. So I came here 13 years ago to go to San Francisco State and get some master's degrees.
7: Common thread on our show. There's a lot of, it all goes back to SF State. I love it. I went there, too.
4: Oh, well, and I loved, so that was the thing about SF State. I wanted to get a master's in writing, but I didn't want to just, I lived in San Diego at the time, and I wanted to go to the best school that I could in California, and it's for writing. It's San Francisco State. So I came up here, got a couple master's degrees, and I was. Never gonna leave, right? Yeah, and then I started comedy, and then and I right when I moved here, I started doing radio. When it was Pirate Cat here mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. building now, which is Mutiny, so I've been with this particular building since two thousand eight. So I mean, I love. I never want to leave San Francisco. I love it so much. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, what can I do to stay? I love it here forever.
7: Do you ever have that feeling? You're like, I might be the last one.
4: <laughs> that still loves it? No, I think there's. Well, it's exciting.
7: No, that the last one left.
4: <laughs> oh right. Well, <laughs> I always knew I'd thrive in the apocalypse. I kind of feel yeah. like I am legend. I will stay here. I will. I the, will eat pigeons. The world caught up with fun. you. <laughs> well, yeah. I. I always thought I wanted to call it. You know, the pandemic. I was like, this is uh, great. Yeah. I'm voice I've been kind of waiting for the, the pandemic to happen yeah. and it, it was fine it was, yeah. I mean I was always poor so everyone else right. came down to my level I was like yeah <laughs> now we're all in the same same place but I grew up um I was born in Livermore so I'm a Livermore on um, 1974 quite some time ago and um, I've never lived outside of California okay and I <laughs> I just don't know i lived. You know, I lived in San Diego for a while. I lived in Davis for a while, but I came back to the Bay Area because I love it here. Even yeah. my family disappeared. I just, now, like oh. this is my, not like disappeared. They just moved, you know, like they left the Bay Area. Yeah. So they went far flung. But I'm never, I'm never
7: leaving. So in terms of your family, you are the last one. I'm the here. last one, yeah. Sure. Um, okay, yeah. C- can we make this about you now? Sure. <laughs> okay, <yeah.
4: laughs>
7: that's, that's what I we I hate do.
4: talking about myself. I never yeah. do that on stage.
7: But you are no. the the subject matter expert of your life story. That's, that's right? true. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. Yeah. Do you know how your parents ended up around here, or like?
4: Yeah. Um. They both worked in the city, and they had moved here. Uh, my father grew up in Redwood City my mother grew up in Illinois and okay. then she moved to San Francisco to work and I guess she met my father in a in an elevator on Leavenworth Street I like uh, like okay. in a in an apartment building we right. were going he was going to someone's house and she was in the, she had her apartment there and it was on like Leavenworth and post or something and they met in the elevator I guess love in an elevator yeah love <laughs> an elevator in like 1960 60-something, nine or when. whatever, okay. yeah. Oh,
7: that's an interesting time to come to San Francisco for work. Right. Am I right? Like yeah. Not a lot of people's reasons to come here then.
4: But they were not hippies in right. by any stretch of the Sounds imagination. Like they, weren't they <laughs> were no, <laughs> they are not at all. They were like, I don't know what, I don't know what they were, but they're definitely, they're very Republican now, so I don't yeah. know what they were then, but okay. they're not, they definitely are not hippies, not call me pinko liberals like me. Right. <laughs> but they met here and then decided to get married and... Moved to the East Bay and,
7: Can we know, say bought where? a house.
4: Yeah. Um, so, I guess first they lived in Pleasanton and then they lived in, then they m- moved to Danville. I grew up in Danville. Okay. Oh, my God. Soul-sucking wasteland of Lexus's. Yes.
8: But I
4: know it was like poor little rich girl. I was, so I was raised in Danville, which is a terribly wealthy place. Mm-hmm. And, but everyone else was so much richer than me that I thought we, we were poor. Right. So, I didn't understand I just didn't understand
8: <laughs> that everyone
4: was rich and I was like ooh I only got a Hyundai for my birthday. <laughs> I didn't get a BMW or a Mustang like everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> like I got a new car. What am I complaining about?
7: Was it racially diverse?
4: <laughs> we had we had four. Okay, so we had four African American students in my class. One of them was Randy Wynn, who went on to oh yeah. play for the Mariners and then the and then the Giants. The giants,
7: and he's on. Uh, he's a commentator. He's for a the commentator giants now. Days. Yeah,
4: and so he was actually he graduated the same year I did, and. I, it's funny story. So I was a cheerleader and he played basketball all the time. And He's I had a, big tall. he was very tall. I had a very big crush on him. And so I'm coming off of El Cerro. I'm in a car with my mother. I'm like 16 years old. And I say to her, I, g- I have kind of have a crush on Randy Wynn. And she's like, the first thing out of her mouth is, don't you ever marry a black man.
7: Oh, mom. <laughs>
4: oh, mom. Uh, so what did I do? No. And when I was 25, I got married to a black, a
8: black
0: guy. Man. Oh, yeah.
4: yeah <laughs> da, 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 da. So I was married for, I was with, um, he was like my college sweetheart. We were, we were together for 13 years, married for seven. Awesome. So I used to be like um, a bourgeois corporatier back in the day. Okay. And um, –
7: you said cheerleader. Can I was, yes. Can we talk was, about, can yes. we talk other, about uh, more stuff about sure, growing up? yeah.
4: So I was a cheerleader. Like high school level? High school or cheerleader, or yeah. Oh I was shit. a varsity cheer. And the only reason I did it is it was reverse stalking because I liked, so I liked Todd Benatar, and he was incidentally the nephew of Pat Benatar. I was just going to say that name. Yeah, what? Yeah, And so he's in and the family. Okay. She lived in Blackhawk, and so his family lived there, whatever. So I had a huge crush on Todd Benatar, and I was like, oh. <gasps> I can reverse stalk. If I'm there first, <laughs> it's not stalking. So if I'm a cheerleader, <laughs> I'm around them all the time, and this will be great. Like, I'll meet all the boys, and all the boys will like me, and it'll be so fun. And then every Friday after the games, like b- b- basketballs Tuesday Thursday but um Fridays were football games yes. and after the games I'd be like standing around with the rest of the cheerleaders and I'd be like where's the party where's the party and they'd be like well there's no party and then on Monday everybody would be talking about the party oh and I was, like, man I'm a cheerleader I'm supposed to be popular now like, yeah. what is happening with my life so it was but nobody likes to know it all and nobody's like invite me to the party invite me to the party so yeah. that was that was like my that was my youth I love that that was your
7: motivation for cheerleading. Yeah,
4: of course. Um, Short uh, skirts. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
7: Hey, it's Hitting warmer over there yeah. than it is <laughs> yeah. in the city, right? But in right.
4: the, the wintertime, we wore our little skirts. We had to wear our little outfits to school on the day of the game. Right. And we, I still fit in my cheerleading outfits, by the way. I love to wear them. Any excuse to wear them, I'm like, ha, 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 I stuffed it in <laughs> them. But tiny little skirts. And it was wintertime. It was cold, and we just had to go. And they'd say, oh, don't wear nylons. Make sure that your legs are... Just bear. bear? And oh I was like, why dude. are we doing this? So it was. Yeah.
7: Maybe because Danville. Maybe because bit. Danville. Or America. Danville's a little more like America. Well, than, and this right. was
4: the early 90s. So like, yeah. you know, massaging didn't exist. And girls walk. I mean, it was just like <laughs> invitation to objectify me. Yeah. Which. Uh, uh, I don't know, right. But that was what I was kind of looking for. I was like, I want these guys to objectify me. But right. they were just playing basketball. They weren't yeah. actually interested in the cheerleaders. <laughs> right. So. That
7: was fun. Are you? Quick side note: Are you gonna help us get Randy Wynn on the show?
4: <laughs> He'll remember <laughs> me. He'll remember me from high school. Absolutely. I have no uh, doubt in my That'd be a trip.
7: Mind. My fiance would freak <laughs> out. She <laughs> used to work for the Giants. Grew up a Giants fan. So, and she loves Randy Wynn. Yeah, he's. Uh, he looks pretty much exactly the same. He uh, He looks like he's twenty two or something. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, yeah. I like him too, yeah, for the record. I, yeah. Um, so
4: I. But yeah, I was. I still so. One of I cheer I used to love cheerleading and they want they went to the Arco Arena twice. Our basketball team was really good. They like won the Division One finals. That was in Sacramento, right? Yeah, Arco yeah, okay. Arena. Okay. And so I got to cheer in Arco Arena, which was really exciting. But yeah. then one of my favorite favorite stories is when I got to cheer in Arco Arena as an adult, and it was 1997, and I won tickets to a Smashing Pumpkins concert. I won tickets to the front row at Arco Arena no and I was so excited. I was freaking out and I was so excited because I just won them walking around. I'd heard about the quad Spies, quad Spies. Anyways, <laughs> so I win the tickets and I'm losing my mind. And I get down to the front and garbage was opening, which I love. I
7: love yes. And it was
4: Smashing Pumpkins. And I love the Smashing That's Pumpkins.
7: That's a great though.
4: And so I know, right? So I'm down in the front row and my now ex-husband, he's there. And I'm like, I'm so excited. And we had seen the Cow Palace show and it was terrible. They had to end early because people were moshing and it was terrible and they were upset. So we bought tickets, anyway, so we're there. And I'm on one side and he's on the other. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna make this side yell smashing and you're gonna make this side yell pumpkins. He's yeah. like, I don't wanna do this, I don't wanna do this. <laughs> I was like, we're doing this, you get over there and we're doing this. So I get up in front and I'm like, the Smashing Pumpkins were in San Francisco and it sucked. And we're gonna bring them out and make them so happy. This side's gonna yell smashing, that side's gonna yell pumpkins. So literally. it starts with the people in the front, smashing pumpkins, smashing pumpkins. I made a sold-out Arco Arena. I'm not even fucking with yes. you. The entire Arco Arena is screaming, smashing pumpkins, smashing pumpkins. Smashing pumpkins come out. Billy Corgan's like, we've never been brought on stage like yeah. this. We're going to have the best show we've ever had. Hell and yeah. they just go. And I was like, I did that. I did that.
7: You literally led the cheer I did. in a <laughs> huge auditorium. You know, yeah, That's and the sold-out. Awesome.
4: I was so happy. I was like, this is my cheerleading. This is what my whole life was training <laughs> it led for. led up
7: to that. That's fucking
4: yeah, awesome. so that's like a childhood story. But that's from the 90s. I'm so old now that even the stories in the 90s are childhood stories.
7: That's okay. So <laughs> we're, we're old, too. Um, <laughs> okay. I, and and the, uh, the last four <laughs> years aged all of us. Um, but did you – so did you have siblings? Do I you have siblings? I do. I
4: have an older brother, but he's also um, extremely a Republican. Republican okay. And very religious. Yeah. Uh, and my, my – Upbringing was very, very Jesus centric. Okay. So I was super, super, super religious. It kind of checked all the boxes.
7: It sounds like yes. the white, white, rich, Republican, and Christian.
4: Right. Yeah. And like, oh, it was singing for the choir and the whole thing. Like okay. Being really involved in church. And yeah. You know, I didn't drink or smoke or do anything fun till college. Like yeah. all that kind of stuff. I was really clandestine. No wonder no one wanted to invite me to the parties because there's l- no one wants to bring the stick in the mud. They're like, well, she doesn't have any fun. I'm like, I do. Let's sing songs to God. Come on. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. I would never, I would never do that at a party. I would probably be scared and hang in the back and be like, everyone's so cool. Yeah. Uh, but no, I grew up with Jesus, and it was weird because when I was little, I've always had a very vivid imagination. So of course Christianity was perfect for me. <laughs> but I wanted to have an invisible cat friend when I was like seven or eight, like mm-hmm. a four foot tall fluffy invisible cat friend Mm -hmm. and my parents were like no you cannot have an invisible cat friend but you can be best friends with a 33 year old man Uh, sit on your bed every night (laughs) and you can talk to him about boys (laughs) you can hold his hand and, they, and now they wonder why I have a beard fetish. But they're <laughs> like, I loved I loved Jesus so
7: much. You can take long walks on the beach with our friend. Right. He yeah.
4: gives you piggybacks, <laughs> the footsteps in the sand. <laughs> he was carrying me the whole time. I'm like, Jesus, I want to kiss you on the face.
7: Yeah. Uh, but it sounds like you were into it oh, for so a while. Yeah, yeah. Oh,
4: I, Well, I love feeling feelings and mm-hmm. Bible delving and feeling mm-hmm. one with the universe or something. I don't mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. Feeling, is, feeling is good. But mm-hmm. it's mostly because I just... I've always been an outsider, and I have a very vivid imagination, mm. so, you know, hence crushes on boys that will never, never. like me.
7: Yeah, and <laughs> like going to them to be stalked. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
4: Well, it's the same thing. I kind of had a crush on my mailman for a while, but I was no. like, he comes to me, Yeah. so it can't be stalking. <laughs> like, right. it's not...
7: He's there for <laughs> he's other coming reasons.
4: coming to me, yeah. So, no, I'm a terror... I was, I was a weird, like... I've always written poetry. I've always written in a... I have like my first journal from when I was seven still, yes. and my very first entry is about boys. Like, it's seriously about being at my brother's baseball game and staring at Jordan is so cute. <laughs> and I'm going to all my brother's baseball games and getting a suicide soda and sit there and be oh, like, Right? And
7: I it's relate. like my
4: first entry when I was seven. Yes. So, yeah, so, my brother's older, incredibly yeah. successful wife, kids. Right. Like, really, the house looks like a pottery barn, you know. It open it up. There's never any dirt or cat hair, even though they right. have multiple cats. It's like
7: – I don't get it. How no. I,
4: uh,
7: Not the li- – well, the <laughs> lifestyle, but also the, the cleanliness that you're talking about. I've experienced that, and I'm like, wow.
4: They pay for a house – they're rich enough to have a house cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it is. It's just – But like five
7: minutes in the Bay Area, you have a collection of dust. Come on. That's true.
4: How and I live downtown, so yeah. like Geary Street just throws – dirt yes. in the air like just black dust all over my world yes. but that's fine i've learned to love it
7: did your brother also leave the bay area like your parents yeah or?
4: he's up in seattle okay up that area up in washington san francisco Center. light right yeah but no fun all suburban yeah, yeah. all just like singing yeah. songs to god on the guitar with the kids and going to church and okay Hanging out with their rich friends, drinking expensive wine, you know. Yeah. So that's price. the
7: Benjamins. Yeah,
4: the Benjamins. Okay. <laughs> they've got they've got all the Benjamins.
7: It <laughs> was just you and your brothers. Yeah, as and as brother as far as kids. Okay. And what about um, friends growing up in, in Danville? Did you have a crew um, or did like did you find other you you called yourself an outcast?
4: I'm a Did you have other
7: outcast friends or
4: kind of in high school, but I've I've pretty much been a lone wolf because mm-hmm. I went to Christian school from kindergarten through like almost the end of seventh grade and mm-hmm the very first year in kindergarten it was awful um, I had a teacher mrs. Mowers god I hope she's dead <laughs> and she seriously she yeah. was so mean and yeah. I remember being five four or five because I was young when I got into kindergarten and we all do memorize Bible verses when you memorized a Bible verse everyone get an ice cream cone little tiny ice cream cones. but I memorized my Bible verse and she gave me graham crackers and she pulled <laughs> me aside and she's like "Fat little girls don't ever get anywhere in the world you should really eat my the graham crackers. God. Now the irony is that graham crackers and the ice cream cone probably had the same amount of calories. Right. But what it did is it separated me from the class and it did make me an outsider because the teacher basically fat shamed me in front of the whole class. Dude. So then I was like different, yeah. and I'm the one who did the Bible verse and performed it and did so great, and I didn't get the ice cream. What the hell? Right. So that was like mm. the beginning of weirdness with christianity of you have to be a certain way for god to love you you have to be a certain way for people to love you that's and it has a lot (laughs) to do with the way you look which is weird because it's supposed to be about like your spirit or your soul and then at the same time i was getting this very like external kate moss be skinny although that's way before kate Moss. that's like maybe the twiggy age and they're like no one listens to you unless you're skinny and pretty and it wasn't like oh you're smart and you can read and no one else can read And that made me different, too, is I could, like, read when I was three or whatever. And so when I was in kindergarten, I was reading Laura Ingalls Wilder, and everyone else was learning to read. And so they put me in a corner with my books, and everyone else would do stuff as a group. So I think that my outsiderness kind of started then. And it was the same kids in the class from kindergarten through, like, seventh grade. So I was known as, like, the fat, weird dork throughout Mm. that whole time. And then teachers just – I mean, from year to year, it was just – part of that school and it was
7: pretty sucked but well also fuck any group that says you can't have ice cream (laughs) in general like i
4: know
7: yeah i mean and also graham crackers are not a consolation prize for ice cream i love graham crackers not a consolation prize for ice cream yeah yeah Yeah. um okay anything else about your danville growing up that you want to talk about i I can
4: talk about anything it was awful so well that was the beginning of When I was in kindergarten and all that stuff, I ended up having an eating disorder for years. I remember being, like, in third grade vacation Bible school, and I remember sitting in the chair and wearing shorts and putting my toes – being on my toes because I felt like when my legs were down, they spread out and they looked so fat. Okay. And so I was, like, in third grade, like, up on my toes, like, trying to make my thighs look skinnier. Which is such a weird thing for a third grader to be thinking about.
7: right. Right? Like – but I'm thinking about all the people who made you feel that way. Right. And the society – yeah, yeah.
4: So constant – and that was just – but I think Sad. that's just the – but that's the thing now is that it made me tougher, I guess. And I feel badly for snowflakes now that don't get bullied because did it make me a better person? Like right. maybe yeah. or not? I don't,
7: I don't know. Yeah, it built defenses. It's like, a, you know, right, you, you learn how to react and – defend yourself right you, you uh, hopefully
4: well we no have. i learned how to put on a mask and wear frosting cuz people uh, like okay. cake but they like it better with frosting <laughs> and just a lot of a, a lot of vomiting because yeah. it's a rich girl's disease like i can't afford to be bulimic anymore because i'm on food stamps but right. like i didn't realize at the time that i was it was really good for the economy cuz i was like four <laughs> times the consumer cuz i was right. consuming so much food and then just not eating it yeah. and I mean, years, like 13 years, I struggle with that, but wow. from early on, like, right. and it was, this is the craziest thing. The thing that sparked it is, I don't remember if you, if you remember different strokes. Oh, yeah. So the older sister, Dana Plato, yeah. there was one episode where she had bulimia mm-hmm. and sh- it was her birthday and there was a cake and she ate the whole cake and then she threw up and I watched that and I was like, oh, you can do that? Yeah. That's such a good idea. Okay. And I knew that, I mean, I'm sure that they meant it to be like, don't this and I was like what a fucking good idea (laughs) you could eat a whole cake (laughs) so a lot Um, of my youth was around was all that Jesus eating disorders looking right being perfect Mm -hmm. trying to be this image of what
7: superficiality sounds mm -hmm. like a lot of that um and also you so you sounds like you grew up in the mostly in the 80s late 70s 80s early 90s yeah yeah I think we might be the same age yeah born Um, in 74 Oh, 73. Okay, we are we the go. same age. Hey. Um, okay. Let's let's talk about leaving Danville. Okay. What was that like? Was it exciting? Did oh, you have a yeah. specific destinations in mind?
4: Yeah, so I um I applied to all the you know schools in high school. So this is funny. 98% of my graduating high school class went to college. Wow. Which is kind of insane.
7: Yeah, I'm not surprised. Rise, it was going back to the other things we were talking about. R- yeah.
4: Everyone did so. I had a lot of choices, and um, I had gotten to a lot of UC schools. And mm-hmm. my parents were like, "Go to Berkeley. You'll be so close." And I was like, "I'm getting the fuck out of Dodge. Yes. I want to be as far away from this as possible." They were like, "But you could come home on the weekends, and won't that?" I was like, "No." Yeah. So um, I went to UC San Diego because I fell in love with it. It's just it's so beautiful, and mm-hmm. the weather's perfect, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I love the beach. I I don't know, and Mm -hmm. it's a great school, and they had a great Mm -hmm. theater program. So I went, I went to UC San Diego, and then I did some acid for the first time, and I saw God, and He like fist bumped me, and it was before fist, He probably high fived me, (laughs) but He was like, "We're fine." Oh, good. He was like, "You don't, don't worry, all that stuff. Like, like He's like, you and me, we're cool. Mm -hmm. All that other stuff, just don't worry about it, and just you be yourself. It's cool." And Mm. I was like, "Oh, thanks, God. This is great." (laughs) And <laughs> so I started, yeah, so I, I started dropping a lot of acid, like, b- in college I did a b- stupid amount of acid. Okay. But I still got really great grades, like, and one of the things that I, it's weird about just who I am, the more, the busier I am, the better I do. Okay. And so one, one it's a, it was a quarter school, in this one semester I took 36 units. Whoa. Which was like nine classes or something. Yeah. And I got a 4.0. Okay. And I was like, ah. Uh, could do anything and And you're tripping the the whole time (laughs) the whole time i was just like on acid but i love to read and i love learning and like i love college and yeah i just i'm i love school because it's the only place where you they tell you what they want and then when you do it they tell you you did well.
8: Hmm. And then
4: you have feelings of like, ah, because then I lear- in the real world, nobody ever tells you when you do well. Then right. the haters come in. The only way you know you're doing well is when everybody's like, you suck. Right. And then it's right. like, well, wait a minute. I thought that you're supposed to tell me I'm doing well. Yeah. <laughs> and right, didn't I follow the rubric? <laughs> <laughs> so I I love I love school.
7: And especially going, s- you went straight, no, no years in between, nope. just straight out of high school. Straight Not out. a lot of people I'm finding who now who did that will be like, I love school. There, a lot of people are like, "Oh, I wish I took some time off," or yeah. "I only learned loved loved learn learned to love learning later in life." Sure. But you liked it. Oh, I love it. Okay. Yeah. It was it because mean, you were tripping the whole time? Maybe.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, and I didn't. I mean, I didn't do that much acid in graduate school, but I did smoke a lot of pot. So. Right. Because it's easier to understand poetry when you're high. Yeah. Like if you read someone's poem and you're sober and you're like, I just don't know what they're saying, and then you smoke a little doobie. It's like, oh, I totally get it. Yeah. I get it.
7: So it's write, drunk, edit, sober, read high. Yes. Okay, yeah, got it. Exactly. <laughs> just adding yeah. read high to the end of Absolutely. Yeah.
4: And I love, I, I don't want to sound like this fucking dilettante, but I love, I love reading. Yeah. I've, I just, it's like one of my favorite things to
7: do. That's okay. <laughs> yes. I, yes. That's a good thing. Um. Uh, so you had mentioned, I, I want to talk about your, your, grad school and going to SF State, but I think before we talk about that, because you grew up in the Bay Area, yeah. do you remember your first time to come to San Francisco? Do you remember your early impressions oh. of the city? This would have been probably in the late 70s, 80s. Yeah.
4: So I remember going in on the BART with my dad. He was taking me to work with him, and I was probably nine. But it, I know we'd been in the city earlier than that. Well, there's two stories. Okay, here's the one that I remember of us driving in, and it's really weird. Um, my grandmother's cousin was a nun here in San Francisco okay and she died and they made us all go to her wake and it okay. was weird and I was like six or seven and it was hot in the car and I remember going I remember going over what's now like uh, Geary to go down Fillmore and then there we went like up another thing and mm-hmm. like so we we're down on like the deep and the by Richmans. Clement in the Richmond yeah and that there must have been a there was a nunnery I mean I don't remember where but I remember that I remember being in the city and it being like, okay, this is weird because there's no buildings at this part of the city. Right. And then there was a nunnery and there were all these nuns and there was a dead nun <laughs> and it was gross and they wanted me to kiss her and I was like, oh I don't even know this lady. Man. And then one nun, she like kneeled down and she's like, are you going to be a good little nun when you grow up? And I was like, no. Oh, <laughs> my God. And now I sort of regret that decision because then I would have had like... God take care of me, or I could have lived for free or something in the could city the and nine. not have to deal with men. It'd just be so much easier <laughs> to just love Jesus. <laughs> yeah. But I remember that as a child. But then also going in to my dad's work, which was downtown with all the big buildings. Mm-hmm. And mostly what I remember the questionably housed and seeing people sitting on the street with dogs and signs and asking my dad, like, I have changed. Can I, and he'd say, I've seen this guy for 10 years. Mm. And he'd keep walking. And mm-hmm. I'd be like, but they, and he's like, if you're going to do something, buy him dog food. And I was hmm. like, okay. But so that's what I remember was hap- feeling feelings for people that were clearly indigent in some way. Right. And my dad being like, just step over them, don't worry about it. They've hmm. been here forever, this is their choice.
7: And yeah. I was like, oh, that, uh. okay. Yeah, that callousness that's pervasive,
4: unfortunately. But it's the Vietnam, it was. I mean, it's, and you'd think that that particular age group would have a heart because right. most of the people on the street were from Vietnam and right. Vietnam vets and they'd serve the country right. and everyone wants you to serve the country, but then they don't want to take care of you after. Afterwards, and yeah. then that whole Reagan thing where he dumped out oh. all the mental institutions and just threw them all in the street in San mm-hmm. Francisco. Mm-hmm. And then our question will population just exploded and nothing. We didn't. And yeah. so my dad came in every day. He drove the van pool and sometimes we'd drive in with him in the van pool and that mm-hmm. was super cool. Mm-hmm.
7: Um, what about fun trips? So not funerals and not your dad's work. Did you do fun stuff in the city? Um, no, that was mostly Oakland.
4: So okay, we can get, talk about Oakland. Yeah, we'd get char siu bao yes. from Chinatown in oh, Oakland. Oh yeah. God. And yeah, we that sounds a- really good right now. <laughs> well, and we'd get we'd get like six steamed and six baked. Yeah. And in the in the on the way home, it'd be like, okay, everyone gets three of them. You can save them for later, or you can eat yours now. And then someone would always eat an extra one, and it was always like, I only got two. But we went to <laughs> went to Fairyland a lot as a child Yeah. and did the whole key, the little yellow key in the box and, like, sitting in front and listening to the stories and the all that stuff, and the little petting zoo. I remember that from being little. Nice. Um, and the Oakland Zoo, we did that way more than the... Because my parents, I think, were afraid to bring us into the city because they, mm. especially with my dad working on Fifth, he thought it was just dirty and gross. And it's so funny that, like... I live so close to there right. I love it. <laughs> right. And I'm like, Next 6th Street, I'm not afraid, like, yeah. whatever. But, um, yeah, so I have m- more memories of Oakland. More but fun. More fun memories. Fun time. But, like, I mean, Danville was just, we lived on a cul-de-sac, and we played oh. kickball yeah. until the sun went down, you know. And, yeah. And um, it was a lot of just ch- church trips, but that was all out to the, that was all out to, like, the Delta and stuff. And Okay. And I'd, we did trips to... Um, redwoods like in santa cruz a lot when i was a kid spent mm-hmm. a lot of time in the redwoods so that was mm-hmm. nature
7: camping like or uh summer christian trips. summer camps yeah okay I yeah yeah okay.
4: christian summer camp from fourth grade all the way through high school like yeah praying to jesus out in the woods all that kind of fun stuff
9: right <laughs>
4: yeah a lot of singing songs to god
7: uh as opposed to fist bumping or high-fiving right, yeah the, yeah but although being
4: out in the i mean it is Religion is almost a hallucinatory thing oh, because sure. you do, you're praying to some hallucination. I mean, in your mind, you have an image, mm-hmm. and is that not a hallucination mm-hmm. of something that I don't know pictorially has been passed down? Yeah, I and mean, I think I think a lot about God. Yeah, <laughs> or awesome. <laughs> or construct of God or whatever.
7: Right. Well, you you met him in a in a trip. I so met him. Yeah. Yes. So in a, in a large disco ball, <laughs> yeah.
4: like inside yeah. a disco. I was like, oh, that's so cool.
7: Yay, God. So I guess let's go back to – Lee. so you graduated from UC San Diego? Graduated from
4: UC San Diego in 1996. Okay. And then I moved back up here to Davis, and I got a teaching credential. Oh, cool. So I lived with my my now ex-husband. He went to veterinary school at Davis. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know what to do after college because I had a theater degree, and I'm like, what am I going to do with this? So I got a teaching credential, and I taught in – woodland for a couple years i taught at group homes i did special ed um and then did you like it did you like teaching i you know i loved special ed regular education was really difficult even back then a lot of entitled kids and parents and it was difficult but special ed's amazing Mm -hmm. because a lot of times the parents weren't even in the picture so you just had a relationship with the kid and you could and I mean, back then they called it severely emotionally disturbed, but now they took the S off because they found it stigmatizing. Mm. So it's just emotionally disturbed Mm. students. But I really enjoyed that because I felt like I was making a difference, and I was young, and I didn't know what I was doing with my life. But I taught for four years, and then I, I wanted to get into graduate school, and I realized, I I can't be a teacher and get into theater graduate school. I need to do theater. So I quit my teaching job and I started a theater company. Up in down in San Diego. Down in San Diego. So we were up in Davis, and I did a bunch of a theater with uh, Woodland Opera House and a lot of community theater and worked with them for a while. And then my we got my ex husband got a job as a veterinarian in San Diego. So we moved down there and that's when I became like a bourgeois housewife. Oh. And we bought a house and we had a Lexus and we had wow. a BMW and we had a what other car did we have? We also had a Ford Explorer. Mm-hmm. We had, you know, two dogs and two cats and a spa overlooking the canyon.
7: Two people, three cars. Right, two people, three cars. Yeah, yeah and okay. uh,
4: two people four bedrooms and we thought our yeah. house was small right. and I was like oh we are just we downsized from our other house in Vista what would he do but um, <laughs> so yeah we lived I had this husband thing and I had a theater company and then my ex my husband's my ex-husband's my ex-mother-in-law she was like why don't you get a real job so I quit my theater job and because I had been applying to graduate school and I wasn't getting in I wanted mm. to go to UC San Diego and they finally Les Waters was the guy who let people in he's like cousin of roger waters anyways oh. and he said you're never gonna get in here you have to go away he was like go to pennsylvania and you mm. can come back go somewhere else but he's like you went here for undergrad we just right we want we want our program we only accept two a year we, it's, it's not you yeah. and i was like oh <laughs> but everything works out for a reason so it's fine but i so i quit my theater company thing and i started working for ethan allen and oh as a visual Insurance. merchandiser what do they do I'm they, they sell furniture the
7: furniture right <laughs> Insurance, yeah whatever. yeah
4: and i so <laughs> i was a visual merchandiser so i was basically like a high-paid set designer because i had this big store and i was like i'm a set designer S- somewhat so
7: creative fun. yeah
4: super creative yeah. but also cog in a corporate wheel of consumerism right and then i stopped taking birth control because i thought i wanted to get pregnant with my husband and i realized that birth control is a systematic calling of Critical Thought from Women's Brains, because I wrote a novel in six weeks. Okay. Like, I got off birth control, and I wrote a you novel You gave in birth six weeks. to a novel. Exactly. And Fuck I was yeah. like, what happened? And I started being really creative again.
7: Fiction? And I was like, mm, or yeah, yeah. Okay. I,
4: wrote a, I wrote a novel. And, um, and then I was like, I think I want to go to graduate school for writing. Yeah. And then I quit my job, left my husband, and got a DUI, like, in the same month yes. in 2007. And then I won a free ticket to Burning Man to be a chef and then <coughs> at burning man they were like they were like you should move to san francisco and i realized there's really no reason for me to be in san diego i can't drive anymore i, I can't substitute teach i can't get to any of my work anything right i don't know what to do so i just moved to san francisco
7: and that that <laughs> so so now looking for a grad school is a little different cuz you're looking for a writing program well, versus uh, theater right right exactly a so yeah.
4: After I wrote that novel, I was like, ooh, I need to go to graduate school for writing. And I met some girl outside of a bar. And she was like, you should go to San Francisco State. They've got a great program. Look into it. And then I looked at home. I was like, oh, my God, they do. Yeah. So I moved to San Francisco.
7: What year was that? 2007. Okay.
4: And then I applied during that year for 2008. And I got in. I couldn't believe it. So I got in for fiction. And I did the two-year program in fiction. And then I was like, I'm not done with this. I love writing. I'm going to get my MFA in poetry. So I applied to continue on and get my MFA in poetry. Nice. And I was doing all these open mics, and I was doing all these things. And in, I loved the poetry. Ta- in the city? Oh, in San Francisco, everywhere. Name drops
7: some places that well, you Well, the old met. amnesia. I yeah. used to do
4: tons of poetry readings and amnesia. I got nice. the opportunity to work with, so, I mean, so many. Forum from C- CCSF, their um, publication is so beautiful. Oh and yeah. they do all of these shows. I've written and for and them. Aren't they amazing? I love Forum. And they 15 the, years ago They or put the pictures next to the poems. And nice. I love, I love Forum so much. And yeah. they were doing shows. And um, so I got to read with them, and through the lit the lit crawl, lit smash, all that lit stuff, quake. the quake lit quake, and I got to read for that a bunch, and work with CCSF and their poetry center, blah 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 blah. Nice. But then in 2011, I was still in poetry school, and I was like, "There's not enough stage time here," mm. and so I realized at the open mic I was doing at Amnesia, there were comedians, mm. and I'm kn- I knew some of them from here from doing radio at mm. Mutiny Radio, and they were like you know five punchlines is three minutes why don't you try it like mm. you do poetry like why not just do this instead and i was like okay okay i'm gonna do it so I wrote five punchlines and it was three minutes and i went up at amnesia and that was july 17th 2011.
7: was it a different were you in a different mindset like was h- h- how different was reciting poetry versus doing comedy they're,
4: they're exactly the same thing okay. um they're crafting language to elicit, elicit in a remote a an re- emotional re- response, response yeah. so Poetry is just, you know, like the poem about my third abortion is boring, but the joke about my third (laughs) abortion is hilarious. So it's like, so it depends. And with poetry, oftentimes, even at amnesia, I'd be like, if I take my shirt off, will you listen to my poem? And (laughs) people will be like, yes. so I take my shirt off and in my bra, just like recite poetry. So people thought that was funny. Mm
7: -hmm. So it was a
4: pretty easy transition. And there's so much more stage time in comedy.
7: Did you make kids laugh, or like your family laugh when you were a kid, or w- was huh? this w- was this like spontaneous comedy had entered your life?
4: Well, I mean, I've always like I've always been the outsider, and I've always had to deal with you deal with trauma through humor. Or at mm-hmm. least I did, or by being the center of attention. Mm-hmm. Cheerleading was great because people were looking at me, and I liked mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I mean. I tried to tell stories as a child, but usually I was sort of shamed, like sh- children sh- sh- should be seen and not
7: heard. Right. Or, you
4: know. Shut up,
7: kid. Have a graham cracker. Right. I yeah. wanted to
4: tell jokes and stories and be on stage. I was a, I, I was a ballerina for 23 years. and okay. I was classically trained in piano for 13 years. So I performed in more traditional classical ways. Right. right, 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 right. Um, but give me a microphone and have people laugh. Because I'd rather laugh at myself before... Anyone else could laugh at me. Okay, so fair that's enough. That's kind of the way that
7: that S- happens. So your story about getting started in comedy, though, you mentioned that you had you knew people from. Can yeah. We go, can we go back a little bit? Sure. Um, um, and talk um, about what is this place <laughs> and right, this thing so that we're doing right um,
4: now? I joined th- when it was Pyrocad. I joined in 2008, and I was on a show with Diamond Dave Whitaker, who did Common Thread,
8: mm-hmm.
4: and I'd read short stories. Mm-hmm. And then after a couple of months, it was so disorganized, and I was like, "Hey, man, you know, I could stage manage." Your show for you. And he's like, oh, that'll be great. Ah, That'll be be incredible. (laughs) Because I'd run boards because I'd done theater for so long and stage managed so many shows, blah, blah, blah. So I started stage managing a show, and I was like, oh, my God, I love this. I love radio. I love microphones. And then I got my own show, and I was doing lots of things here and performing and a lot of poetry and spoken word, blah, blah, blah and then in 2011 we had to kick out the guy who was running the place because he led the country and he'd embezzled some money Mm. and then the fcc had come down on us because we had an illegal terrestrial tower so we Mm. were broadcasting illegally Mm -hmm. but we thought that under the fcc guidelines of 1942 that if you're at a time of war you can have a shortwave tower but
7: like america's always at war so we're good
4: we're in operations and skirmishes so once he said mission Uh. accomplished the anthony bourdain thing happened and he came here and then like we got a lot of press and then the FCC came after us and tried to fine us $10,000. So what happened yeah. was we changed to Mutiny Radio because we're like, I don't know what Pirate Cat was. There's no fine. Yeah, None of us are them. That? Who are yeah. <laughs> yeah. they? So in 2011, Pirate Cat became Mutiny, okay. and it was run by like a board of people. Okay. And then in 2013, they were all like, fuck this shit. We're out. Oh. And I said, no, no, no. This is I've started comedy now. Without this place, doing my open mics, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I need this place. Yeah. And they're like, well, good luck. So I wrote – I wrote a business plan, and okay. I brought it to the group, and I was like, I'll take it over. And they hmm. were like, okay. Hmm. So in 2013 you, –
7: By yourself? By
4: myself, yeah. Okay. So there were five people running it, and then in 2013, I was like, I'll just run it. And now it's 2021, 20, and it still exists. Awesome. So that's that.
7: Can we talk quickly about the Bredein thing?
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
7: I just watched uh, the documentary that's coming out oh. next month, Roadrunner. Um so for me, this is timely. Um, and I actually forgot until you just mentioned it, that he came to the cafe, right? Yeah,
4: yeah. yeah and he, he had a bacon maple latte. And he, you know, talked into, not that particular microphone. We have new microphones now. But he sat in a chair like that right mm-hmm, there and mm-hmm. um, was interviewed. And then it was on the TV. And it was crazy. And Was um, it cool?
7: Were you here for that? No, I wasn't invited. Oh, okay. I wasn't
4: part of the cool group. But, oh, um, got it. Okay, okay, okay. I was here it. when jo- um, George, um, not Parliament, P Funk, George Clinton was here. Came I was on. here for that. I awesome. gave him some pop brownies he ate. Fuck <laughs> And yes. that was awesome. I was like, I gave him pop brownies. And the one of the people was like, Are you sure he's performing tonight? And I was like, "This George Clinton That's smokes crack. Like, yeah. these two pop brownies are going <laughs> to yeah. do nothing to this man.
8: <laughs> right. But
4: uh, yeah, so Anthony Bourdain was here. And I mean, it's exciting. There's a lot of people have been through this building. I got to interview um, Paul Mooney once on the phone. Nice. So that was R. exciting. P. And yeah, I mean, everybody. And Anthony Bourdain, R.I.P., super, like, sad.
7: Yes. <sighs> the yeah, documentary is is, um, is really good. Uh, watch it. I watch it. It's a lot, you know, it's, like, biographical, so it wasn't rough for an hour and 20 minutes, and then it goes into the last two years of his life, and oh. it gets, it's waterworks. Oh. Yeah. I'll
4: watch it. I love um, that guy. I love all his books. He was an incredible writer.
7: Totally. But the, the good thing about the documentary, I don't want to take us too far down that road, but is that it has... The people from his life are in it. Wow! So right. So you get not that she's in it, but not like uh, in the like it's footage. Sure, she's not interviewed, but Atavia and all that stuff. Um, way off on a no, tangent now. <laughs> so
4: yeah. So now, like, I, we made it through the pandemic. I was doing outdoor shows, and we still are. Ask. I love parklets. I've yeah. got a bunch of weekly shows, and um, I've had five comedy festivals here the last one was in 2020 right before the pandemic like a week before the shutdown
0: awesome.
8: and so
4: i'm gonna i'm excited i can bring it back in october mm-hmm. uh, the 10th through the 16th but this time i'm gonna do it at all the new venues i have because i gained so many outdoor venues through the pandemic and i'm really excited
7: do you want to tell folks where those are
4: yeah uh every wednesday at 7 30 we do a show with asiento which is a half a block from here mm-hmm. And Debbie of Asiento is amazing, another small business owner that made it through COVID. And then Saturdays at 2 o'clock at Atlas, which is a block from Mm -hmm. us in the other direction. Mm -hmm. And same thing. um, They made it through. Yes. And it's incredible. So happy. They have amazing sandwiches. And then the bar at Dolores, which is on 29th and Dolores. I do shows with them on Thursdays and the last Sunday of the month. Awesome. And um, yeah, and I'm going to be I'm gonna hopefully be working with el rio and then i just talked to the owner of omg because he just opened for cash and he was like i want to be in the festival and i'm like yes yes yes, yes. of course oh my god that will be so great awesome. so they're they're back open which is exciting
7: and the festival you said is in october it's gonna
4: be october 10th through 16th i believe this year okay yeah i I'm might just be
7: getting married that. that week but Ooh, i'll do my best thank you i'll be, do my best to come to yeah i right got
4: now. i got my first std from my first marriage okay yeah sexually transmitted debt <laughs> that's what you get. That's what you get when you get married. Good luck. It's fun. Or maybe the kids these days are progressive. They call them STIs. Oh. So maybe it's more sexually transmitted income.
7: Income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so good luck. This will be my third, and my and my fiance's first, so she's like, third time's a charm. Yay! I hope. I hope. Congratulations. Um, thank you. We
4: have, like, three minutes, and then I have to start another show.
7: Okay, well, then, perfect. Joke
4: workshop, something. So that's the other thing we do at the station is on Mondays at 6 o'clock, uh, there's joke workshop, where I run it like a graduate school poetry thing except that it's jokes so Mm -hmm. comedians do four minutes and then they get four minutes of commentary from their peers and then it's an open mic and then we also do Fridays at six o'clock and it's a contest where comedians do four minutes and I invite audience to be judges and then they judge the comedians and their five favorites all get booked shows with like paid food and drink and money and the whole deal so
7: Cool. a winter
4: here for the community and to it's tell super fun.
7: My fiance she she's between jobs uh, and she wants to she's like always wanted to do comedy. Ah, I told her to come nice here. This her come
4: right here. Tell her to come to community Radio.
7: Okay, a couple of minutes so what I want to end on is what do you think of San Francisco? I mean, we're on literally the cusp tomorrow is tomorrow. when California opens. Yeah. What are your kind of hopes and visions for for what San Francisco can be moving forward?
4: Oh my gosh. I hope that The San Francisco UBI that's funding a bunch of artists can continue and expand and be able to fund more artists so that we can value art as a a monetary resource instead Mm -hmm. of putting all of our money into tech and realize that that art is important Mm -hmm. and that artists, that is a job Mm -hmm. and that our work does have value and as people we have value and... To give us the opportunity to create, that's, I'm sorry, we have to create. I'm sorry I can't be in insurance. I have to create. Right. But we should respect artists and and value their gifts monetarily. And if I could see that going forward in San Francisco, I'd be so happy. Bands, everybody. I remember, Ah, oh, I love all the bands. I love Floating goat. I love all the metal bands. Oh, I'm so excited we're going to get ba- Like, I get to see Shows, metal again? Yes. Sh- like, yes, <laughs> yes. So, but all of the, the, the bands and the visual artists and the comedians and the, I mean, even karaoke goddesses, just Mm -hmm. everyone to be able to express themselves again. I hope that that can come back
7: and, um, but I'm going to interject real fast. Mm -hmm. It's for you. It's not a hope because you're doing the work. (laughs) You're helping bring it back. If I, tomato,
4: I know I just said that, where'd you get that fine heirloom? What a tomato. Look, man, this isn't a come on. Just tell me where you got that beautiful tomato.
9: What a tomato.
6: 2055 Jarrod Avenue.
10: Hope your legs are looking sexy because we're going to charm your pants off. Come to the Charm Offensive Comedy Show at Punchline San Francisco. It's a night of great jokes, magnetic personalities featuring the Bay Area's most awarded comedians plus national headliners. You'll laugh. You'll swoon. And when you regain your composure, you'll swipe right. Tuesday, March 7th. Doors at 7, show at 730 at 444 Battery Street in San Francisco's Financial District. Brought to you by Paco Romaine and Destiny's Moms Comedy. Our last show sold out, so get your tickets now at punchlinecomedyclub.com. Charm Offensive at Punchline Comedy San Francisco. Tuesday, March 7th. See you there, sexy.
4: everybody. It is high noon on a Tuesday. I mean, what? It's Wednesday. <laughs> it's Wednesday. That's how high I am. I thought it was Tuesday. I missed a day. It's Wednesday. It's the 18th of 18th? <laughs> January.
9: I, I think so. I think that's right. <laughs> I think
4: that's right. Uh, you're here on the AltaCast. I'm joined by Arden of the Night Space and also by Latoya, the Sheriff of Truth, here bringing it in. Yeah. Uh, oh, actually, you're on four there. Oh, there, there we go. There. Hey, oh, yeah. there we go. That's my There's fault. Latoya. Hey. Hey. Your, your hair is still purple. You're still a mermaid.
10: Ah, swimming with the fishes.
4: Have <laughs> uh, it's. Uh, we could swim outside right now, feeling like a fish. Uh, one cool thing that happens on this corner is that when it rains like this, the the um, it floods <laughs> the road right out here, and it's really fun. It's like, you know. Where do the fish I have this is this is a question where when a f- lake freezes over uh-huh. the fish stay?
9: Yes
10: mm-hmm.
4: What if the f- lake completely freezes
9: then they die? If it completely froze yeah. they probably die. But then how do they come
4: back the next year?
9: So what happens is when water freezes uh, it hits a critical temperature and I'm sure somebody in the audience is going to correct me on this but I think it's about four degrees centigrade when it's its densest. And it comes down to the bottom of the lake. And it keeps doing that until the whole lake is about four degrees centigrade. And it's only once it hits that temperature that the top begins to freeze. So there's this kind of buffering effect that happens that prevents this kind of middle layer where the fishy live from completely freezing. So uh,
4: so the fish don't die.
9: Yeah, at least that that's what I remember from high school classes.
4: No, this. but here's the thing. Where, I used to go to Burning Man. So Black Rock City is out there. And uh, during the summer, it's a dry lake bed. But during the winter, it's a lake. But then in the summer, you don't see like dead fish bones everywhere. So where do
9: the fish go? Well, that must be a dead lake then. So it it just fills
4: up with water, just never has any fish.
9: Yeah, unless there's some species that survives in the mud or something, like mud skippers.
4: I don't understand science at all. Uh, here we are on the (laughs) Cast. I don't know, I'm like, I don't know. Where do the ducks go in winter? Uh, Holden Caulfield, I'd like to know. Uh, here we are with the Drug Policy Alliance Minute. Stop the Jeff Sessions nomination. Uh, he was picked to be the next Attorney General, and if confirmed, will bring back militarized Reagan-era drug war tactics and raids. On marijuana businesses send a message to your senator now there's a little click link if you go to drug policy alliance you can send a message to your senator.
10: how many of you guys ever written your senator not today once once when I was in a high school
4: was it for a school assignment or was it a- no
10: um, I forgot what it was it was like when I was living in st. Louis or what-have-you so I remember writing to my senator about that oh and I did actually I do remember I re- we wrote our senator about an AIDS quilt when I was in elementary school. Huh. Yeah, that was like in the late 80s, early 90s.
4: Because you wanted an AIDS quilt.
10: Yeah. Yeah, that's when I was in Catholic school. So when we were able to like um, contribute to the AIDS quilt that was going on at the time. So.
4: Wow, two, Catholics about talking about AIDS.
10: In, in, in Southwest Missouri at the time, too. Yeah. Wow. This is like '90. 1990,
4: that is. No, I've, I have wrote my senator recently about the whole um, Trump inauguration with the uh, Electoral College and uh, trying to abolish that. I recently wrote a little thing. Uh,
10: Camilla, Dave, or Camilla Harris.
4: Camilla Harris? Yeah. Oh, well, isn't, isn't Nancy Pelosi one of our people? I didn't, yeah. I didn't yeah. know Skeletor had a sister. <laughs>
10: uh, Camilla Harris is the... D- <laughs> uh.
4: <laughs> okay. sorry that's a that's actually a drummer comedian aaron barrett joke I should get, he, when he does his george w bush voice and he's like and and i've made some mistakes you know, you you made some mistakes namely nancy pelosi i didn't know skeletori had a twin sister <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, that's in his that's in his george w bush said uh yeah little taquitos it's mexican for little tacos (laughs) see i wrote that too because originally he said spanish and i'm like oh no george w says mexican that's mexican for little taco baby (laughs) um science talking about science science once again claims marijuana is medicine in landmark national academy of sciences report once again the scientific community has come back with evidence against the schedule one categorization of marijuana Yay! Uh, today, the National Academy of Sciences released a comprehensive review of research on marijuana and concluded that marijuana does indeed have medical value.
10: Woo! Is it like, like a, fireworks, a fireworks. We already knew that for some yeah, dumbass we, out there. We
4: knew, we knew. But uh, the review concluded one of the therapeutic uses of cannabis and cannabinoids is to treat chronic pain in adults. The committee found evidence to support that patients who were treated with cannabis or cannabinoids were more likely to experience a significant reduction in pain symptoms. For adults with multiple multiple sclerosis-related muscle spasms, there was substantial evidence that short-term use of certain oral cannabinoids, man-made, cannabinoid-based medications that were orally ingested, improved their reported symptoms. Furthermore, in adults with chemotherapy, induced nausea and vomiting, Uh, There was conclusive evidence that certain oral cannabinoids were effective in preventing and treating those ailments. This is not the first time the scientific community has made claims about marijuana as a medicine. The LaGuardia report. Uh, was commissioned by then-mayor of New York Fiorello LaGuardia in response to the Marijuana Act of 1937, the Fed's first attempt at controlling marijuana use in the general public. The report confirmed what LaGuardia suspected, that the effects of marijuana did not impact a person's sensibilities or ability to make good decisions, and that it was likely was not as dangerous as Anslinger and his buddies were making it out to be with their Reefer Madness campaign. The next scientific assessment of marijuana was commissioned by Richard Nixon in the early 70s. The passage of the Controlled Substances Act created drug schedules, a system for classifying drugs based on their medical value and dangerousness. Nixon commissioned the Schaefer Report to study the effects of marijuana and make recommendation as to what the appropriate schedule might be. The report concluded, Considering the range of social concerns in contemporary America, marijuana does not, in our considered judgment, rank very high. (laughs) We would de-emphasize marijuana as a problem. The existing social and legal policy is out of proportion to the individual and social harm engendered by the use of the drug. Nixon disregarded the report, and marijuana remained a Schedule One drug. I didn't know that came out in the 70s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I—, I Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize you, that there was a tar- report that said it's, there's nothing wrong with it. And he went, boo, the wrong with all these hippie yeah. crazy kids. It,
10: hippies uh, and Negroes were too busy having a good time and Nixon had to kill that party.
4: Had to kill that party.
10: And arrest it, them.
4: It's just, it's so crazy to me, this whole Schedule 1 thing. Schedule 1 drug means that it's like heroin. It's a rating yep. system. It's a rating system saying that marijuana is bad.
9: And cocaine's number two.
4: And cocaine's a schedule two? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> because
9: they still use it in eye surgery. Wait, because it's
4: an analgesic. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, and
10: plus, politicians love it. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
4: <laughs> well, if you've got hemorrhoids, uh, it's great. You just stick it right on there and get high and don't feel a thing. Nice. Uh Before I finish this, I said heroin as a schedule one. And I wanted to tell you guys a quick story about what happened yesterday uh, in the in the uh, station here Uh so it's four o'clock i'm getting ready it's still a sunny day i'm going to go pass out a bunch of the beautiful posters for the mutiny radio comedy festival 2017 coming up march 1st through 5th i'm leaving i'm excited to leave i've done all the work here trying to get out of the building and a guy walks in and he's like and he smells like you know like you know, some questionably housed people smell like they're trying not to smell, but you know that they're questionably housed. Like you know, something's up. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I'm so DJ. So do the rap. And he's white. And I'm like, Yeah, sure, you do the rap. Uh, I'm like, I'm getting out of here though. I gotta go. I gotta go. And the thing is, I just counted all the money, so I have fourteen hundred dollars in dues in my bag. As he's walking in, and I'm like, Fuck! can I hide the money in my backpack. And I don't want to say, Hey man, I gotta get out of here. I gotta go run, do a bank run because I'm afraid like, he might steal my money. Well, I don't know what he's gonna do. So. He's here, and I'm like, hey, guy, I got to go. And he goes, oh, before you leave, can I just use your bathroom real quick? And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, don't do it, Pam. Say no. Say you're leaving. Say no. But I don't know what the social pressure is and why I feel it so strongly to be a nice person. I don't know if it's my white guilt, if it's my guilt over having a home, if it's my guilt over living in San Francisco as an artist, whatever it was. And I hang it at the brainwash. Whatever. I said Yes.
8: Oh, oh, I no. not I don't know. So